This is episode number 159 with Dan Miller. Success 101 Podcast. This is your host, Jared Warren. At each episode, my goal is to bring you a new concept or idea to help you maximize your full potential. Thanks for joining me here today. Now let's kick things off. Hey guys, good morning. I'm really tired and sleepy this morning. Just kidding. You guys think I'd show up and do a podcast not energized to the hilt? I can't take all the credit for it though. The Human Charger from Valky is an absolutely fascinating device that will take you to higher levels of maximum potential and increase your energy levels each day. Many of you have asked me how it works, so let's peel back the layers on this thing. New brain scans and brainwave images have shown that the surface of our brain actually has photosensitive receptors, a lot like those located in the retina of the eye. Those photosensitive receptors can be accessed by light flowing through the ear canal And you can do that using the Human Charger's bright light therapy device and its advanced LED set earbuds. So guys, when you hit those photosensitive areas of the brain and you activate those chemical compounds that you guys have heard me talk about before, serotonin, dopamine, noradrenaline, those are all released to increase your energy levels, improve mood, increase mental alertness, and even reduce the effects of jet lag. The thing I love about the Human Charger is how stinking easy it is to use this thing. All you do is you put these LED earbuds into your ears, you press the power button, and at that point, bright light flows through your ear canals. To your brain, this thing is basically like looking at the sun, but it only takes 12 minutes to kick up your energy levels. And here's the other thing. It doesn't make you sit in some crazy booth or some crazy pod in order to do this. You can continue your daily activities, such as walking, talking, anything else that you're doing, and there's no other light therapy as effective or efficient as the Human Charger. This thing has helped me out so much that I partnered with the guys over at Valkey to give my faithful Success 101 podcast listeners 20% off of the sun in your pocket. Just head over to success101podcast.com forward slash Human Charger to pick up your very own device today. At checkout, enter the promo code SUCCESS101 and grab your 20% off. For me, I use it to keep my caffeine levels lower. I don't have to pound that second or sometimes third cup of coffee during the morning, not really because I even want it, but just to get going and feel like I have arrived. Or the two o'clock coffee session to keep from having that afternoon crash. Some people use this as a pre-workout at the gym. Some people use it to fight winter blues or jet lag, as I mentioned. It is so versatile and can be used for so many different things. But the bottom line is it will increase your peak performance. It will keep you healthier. And what better time to grab this for yourself than when it's 20% off at success101podcast.com forward slash human charger. At checkout, enter the promo code success101 and grab your 20% off. Now, I'm so fired up to bring our show here to you guys today as I introduce Dan Miller to the Success 101 podcast. For those of you guys who don't know Dan, he's the president of 48 Days LLC, which specializes in creative thinking for increased personal and business success. And the things that Dan and I align on the most is believing that work is a blend of our natural skills, our abilities, our unique personality, and our dreams and passions. Dan is active in helping individuals redirect careers, evaluate new income sources, and achieve balanced living. 
He's the author of the widely acclaimed 48 Days to the Work You Love and No More Mondays, two books that you guys should go grab as soon as possible. He's been a guest on CBS, The Early Show, MSNBC's Hardball with Chris Matthews, just to name a few. As you guys will hear today, Dan has been a longtime friend of Dave Ramsey as they have grown their businesses together from humble beginnings. This has led Dan to reevaluate the way the human brain thinks around work, why we hate Mondays, why we don't love the work that we're in, and what we can do about it starting today, no matter what age you are. And guys, this is not just for people who need a career switch or a career path. Dan shows you how to take the boring, lackluster parts of the job you once loved and really reignite the purposes and passions that led you into that career in the first place. For those of you who go and grab 48 Days to the Work You Love and No More Mondays, I look forward to hearing your comments. And I know this is going to be a game changer for many of you out there. So without any further delay, let's jump right into my conversation with Dan Miller. Dan Miller, welcome to the Success 101 podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. How are things in your world today, buddy? You know, I'm always excited about starting a new year, but I think especially so this year, just totally jazzed about all the opportunities all around us. Well, I'm sure we're going to dive real deep into all of that, but just give us a little bit of a teaser here. What's the biggest thing you're excited about with all the different avenues you have going out there? What's the biggest thing 2017 uh, brings excitement for you around? You know, it's funny because I'm always looking for new opportunities. I love change, but the biggest thing I'm excited about in terms of business right now is launching our 48 Days to the Work You Love seminar. Now, that book is already in its 10th anniversary edition in hardback, which is almost unheard of. But because of that continued success, we developed a brand new seminar and the scalability of that is really exciting. So I did 48 videos to go with the 48 Days to the Work You Love. Those are all integrated and that's ready to go. We're looking to bring on a thousand facilitators for that seminar and then train them and roll that out. So that's pretty exciting. Wow, that is exciting. When are you guys going to kick that off? What does your time frame look like there? Next week. Well, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So we're talking real quick. We're going to be doing it. It's all ready. It's all finished. I'm meeting with my team tomorrow, and we're just going through the final stages of launching that. Man, that is great. And uh, really, for the listeners out there, if you have not checked out the book, 48 Days to the Work You Love, I knew we'd get into it fairly quickly. But here we are in the first few seconds already into this thing. And I just can't be quiet about it because for so many of the clients, you know, coaching clients that I have and financial advisors that I'm coaching, and then even my personal clients in the financial planning world, I have shared that book and that the ideas in that book to so many people out there because I think in today's time, it's just so easy with all the noise and all the distractions around to really lose sight of what your passions are. And though that may sound a little bit crazy to not really know what it is you're passionate about or what you're going toward, tell me, Dan, we'll just go ahead and dive in here. Why do you think in today's time, even with the noise and, and the distractions, as I mentioned, why is something that should be so obvious to us, really knowing what it is that fuels us and drives us each day, why is that important message not cutting through that noise and why is it getting so muddled underneath everything else that we're doing to where, you know, a lot of people are walking around out there going, man, I don't even really know what I'm supposed to be doing. What has been your experience around that? And how are you helping others to really find, you know, what that is for them? Sure. You know, the latest statistics tell us that 81% of Americans would change their jobs this year if they knew how. Now, that's preposterous in the land of greatest opportunity that that many people are saying, this isn't right. Something's wrong here. But part of the reason, there are a couple reasons. One is that we so quickly get adjusted to the status quo. 
So you get out of college, get out of high school, whatever, get a job. And all of a sudden, you know, you look up and it's 20 years later because you're just getting by. Think you can be able to make the mortgage payment, the car payment. Things are okay. So you don't take the initiative to change. That's why in the last couple of years with a lot of people losing their jobs, it really was a wake up call and they're in a better place now because of it, but they would never take in the initiative if things had just continued to okay. But here's the other part, Jared, people too quickly look to the outside for solutions. Mm. You need a job. Well, who's hiring? Well, where are the latest trends? What's the best business opportunity? What's the greatest franchise? And they look for external solutions when here's the key. 85% of the process of having the confidence of proper direction in your work comes from looking inward first. What is it that you know about yourself in terms of unique skills and abilities you have? How do you relate to other people? You know, what are those personality skills you've got? And then the third area, what are your values, dreams, and passions? What are those things that just keep popping up again in terms of interest of yours? If you take a deep breath, take a little time. I'm not talking about, you know, six months sitting on a mountain waiting for a bolt of lightning or anything <laughs> sure, like that. Sure. <laughs> but I mean, two days to look at yourself, really figure that out. You can create a focus and then move forward with boldness, confidence to either find or create work that is right in your sweet spot, work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. But a lot of people miss that 85%. They go right to the 15%. They get a Band-Aid solution. I mean, I worked with a guy just recently who works at a bank. Well, he told me, you know, he went through an unexpected layoff, had a friend who worked at the bank who offered him a temporary position there. And so he thought, well, you know, for two or three months, you know, he'd hang around there until he really got focused, figure out what he wanted to do, do a job search. He'd be out of there. That was 14 years ago. Wow. He never did anything. It was just comfortable enough. He knows he's not on track. He knows it was not a fit for him, but he stayed for 14 stinking years. Wow. Boy, I don't deny that at all. I find that a lot. Maybe not for that long of a time frame. That's a pretty extreme example. But there's a lot of people that I know right now that 14 years from now could be in that position. You know, good is the enemy of great. It's Absolutely. comfortable. It's good. We're fine. We got a retirement plan. We've got enough to get by. Nothing's really tearing at us to have to do anything different. Like you said, when those people had to change and they lost their jobs, most of them would say they're better off for it. And that's just a staggering stat that you mentioned, 81%. I heard probably, gosh, I don't know, it might have been 10 years ago now that it was somewhere, you know, a little north of 70, somewhere between 70 and 75%, but that number was going up. So I, there's no way I doubt that it is 81% of people would change their jobs. And I see it also with the clients that I work with. But to the average person out there, I think it's what you mentioned. It's looking inside. You know, you're trying to look outside first, right? But it's looking inside and figuring out what it is that you're supposed to be doing and what it is uniquely to you that's going to fuel and drive you. But again, once, let's say somebody had some idea of that or figured it out, I think just the confusion out there and the noise out there and everything that's going on they don't even know where to start. Take us back, Dan, if you don't mind, to how 48 Days, uh, your company, 48 Days LLC, was created and what the motivation behind creating that was, which I think eventually led to the book, or maybe the book came first, I'm not sure, but what the motivation of that was and then how you're truly helping people along those lines to cut through some of that confusion out there and look inside. Sure. You know, I'm a business guy, Jared, like you. You would think, you know, I need to have this real clear story about how I sat down and really created a business strategy for what I have today to be an author, speaker, coach. I didn't do any of that. This, this just snuck up on me. Wow. I'm almost as embarrassed to admit that. Certainly in later years, I've gotten more strategic about it. But I had gone through a really horrendous business disaster. I was deeply, deeply in debt. 
And I was just jump back in commission sales, you know, just make things work again. So I was really in a tough spot. My wife and I agreed to teach a Sunday school class at our church on career transitions. I said, sure. You know, I had my master's degree at that point in clinical psychology. It was kind of a familiar territory for me. I've always been an entrepreneur, but I said, sure, no problem. So I started teaching. Well, that class was like a vacuum in the community. And I, we started having people not only from other churches, but from other states coming for that. And I'd talk to people, you know, gee, you know, do you, are you working at Burger King? You lost your job? No, I'm a dentist. I hate what I'm doing. We, you know, we had professional people coming to that, and they immediately started asking for materials. Hey, Dan, I've got a son-in-law who's been without work for four months. I want him to hear what you just told us. What do you have that I can give him? I didn't have anything. And I finally just under duress, and because of the continued request, put together just a real rough outline of what I was teaching in that Sunday school class, put it in a three-ring binder, and we started making that available. Well, <laughs> a couple years into that, I saw an opportunity to go to a conference in Los Angeles put on by Mark Victor Hansen, co-author of Chicken Soup for the Soul. It was Mega Book University. And I thought, man, this guy knows how to sell some books. At that point, they were approaching 100 million copies of his book. And wow. I thought, well, I can learn from that guy. So I tapped my good friend, longtime friend, Dave Ramsey on the shoulder. I said, man, let's go to this. So Dave and Sharon, Joanne and I went to that conference. We sat there and listened to this guy just graciously tell us what he did to sell books. And I thought, well, I got this little book, you know, that seems to be doing pretty well. I had never talked to a publisher or anything. I came back and in the next 18 months, I sold over $2 million of that little three ring binder. Dave was growing his radio show and together we were just rocking and rolling. And I thought, man, if there's that much demand for that. And then because of that, then I had publishers knocking at my door. And of course, then I had people asking me to come speak. People saying, hey, how can you teach me to do that? How can you teach me how to get to a better place in my own life? And so the things that I'm doing today really just exploded around me, almost with me resisting them. And frankly, I was, because having started that in a Sunday school class, I, I really had kind of a theological quandary in charging for things that I thought I was just doing to serve my community well. Sure. So I had to work through that challenge. But once I did and positioned myself really as a coach rather than just the nice guy at church, it was, again, like my business just exploded. People saw me as a professional rather than just that nice guy, and it's just never let up. And I know for the people out there listening to that, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I've heard before, overnight success takes like 10 years, you know, to happen. I know your story is is one of those where you didn't really even intend for this to happen, but for listeners who hear that and maybe think about their own life as being a coach or having influence or impact on people, I know that that's not where you started. I know that your story is you were a, poor farm kid, you know, growing up and didn't have experience to any of this type of stuff growing up. Tell us a little bit about your beginnings and what you think really equipped and prepared you to be the man you are today along your journey. Boy, that's an interesting question, Jared. When I think back, and I've done this a lot, but I was raised in a family where we did just eke out a living farming, and that was all that was expected. There was no talk about dreams and plans for being more successful. That was really not even welcome kind of thinking. This life here is just something we kind of have to get through, and then someday we'll all go to heaven and be happy there, but not here. <laughs> right, right. But I was real inquisitive as a little kid. I just thought, you got to be kidding me. You know, there's got to be more. Why can't we have joy and a lot of fun even here? And I was 13 years old, and I got a hold of the little audio recording, The Strangest Secret by oh, Earl Nightingale. Yeah. Man, I started listening to that thing. I mean, I'm sure my 
buddies had Playboy magazines under their mattress. I had the strangest secret under mine. <laughs> I'd pull that out at night, play that thing, and hear this gravelly-voiced old man say, you can become what you think about. And I thought, wow, could I, as a poor little farm kid, change my opportunities for where I am, who I am, what I have, what I can do, just by changing my thinking? Well, it became a real foundational principle for me that remains so today. But that put me on this trajectory, and it really was a diversion from my family members. But I started believing that I could do more, have more, and I was a voracious reader. We didn't have radio or TV in our house, but it drove me to books. And that, again, you know, there's a term that is called desirable difficulties. I love that term. You know, the uh, CEO of JetBlue Airlines is severely dyslexic. He said that if there were a pill to take that away, he wouldn't take it because that disability has driven him to so many creative opportunities he would have missed otherwise. Wow. And we all have that. So I look at my own background, I can think, man, I was, you know, really disadvantaged at all these things that I didn't have, didn't have these opportunities. Nobody paid for my college. Well, those very things are the things that I think propelled me to really seek out my own unique path, to not just be content with an expected path that maybe my dad had did. No, it was totally different. But in doing so, I really found my own voice, my own authenticity, and it's just been an, an awesome ride. Gosh, Dan, there's so much to unpack there. Thanks so much for sharing that. I, I'm curious how your family, for lack of better words, treated that new mindset that you had. You said uh, when you started telling your story that it wasn't really even welcomed, this thought of wealth or, or you know, bettering yourself in that area. As you mentioned, your friends probably weren't doing the things that you were doing. I'm assuming other family members obviously weren't doing those things. And so there's some type of uh, resentment sometimes that comes into the picture from other people that when you start bettering yourself, there's this sense that, you know, you think you're better or you think you're trying to do or, or just oh foolish. You know, people just say, oh, well, that's just foolish. Why are you listening to this guy tell you that whatever you want to be is you, you can be whatever you want to be at Earl Nightingale? How did your family, how did your friends, people around you uh, treat that when you first started going through it and, uh, and really growing in that area? Well, I got kind of a double whammy in that area. Now, in the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki talks about the black crabs. You go down on the beach in the morning, you start collecting crabs, you put them in the bucket. Well, yeah. one of those crabs start to think, and hey, this may not end well. So he puts his leg up over the edge and is just about to go back out, get on the beach and go back in the water. And you know what happens? One of those crabs in the bucket pulls him back in. Well, we all have those black crabs in our lives, people who are not real thrilled about a level of success that they've not experienced themselves. So if it's people in the job, people you went to school with, or family members, which it often is, there is that. However, I also had another real big component in play. My grandparents were Amish, horse and buggy Amish. My parents were very close to that, became conservative Mennonites, if your listeners are familiar with those denominational trends at all. What that means, though, is that we viewed money as a very dangerous thing. You're really better off not to have any. As soon as you get a little, it opens the door to things that may take you away from the spiritual path and the way that they viewed it. I had to overcome that. I had to overcome that kind of thinking. And as I did, Yes, it was not a welcome kind of thinking yeah, in, I can't my, imagine. in my family system. I mean, to his dying day. Now, unfortunately, over time, time is a wonderful healer. Had a wonderful relationship with my mom and dad as in their later years. But my dad never really could quite get his head around what I do. I mean, he would milk cows and sell the milk. 
plant soybeans and take them to town. You understand that. But to get paid for thinking and writing, <laughs> you know, and of course, a good day, you know, I make more in a good day than my dad ever made in an entire year working harder on a farm. I mean, it's mm-hmm. pretty hard to frame that. And I didn't share those kind of things because it would have been really hard for him to get his head around those kind of things. We, you know, we live very simply. We love our life, but, and we love spending time with them until they're both gone now. But the path that I took was very, very foreign, not just culturally, but also theologically to my upbringing. Tell our listeners out there who are of the faith-based community and strong believers, and, you know, it's always interesting, the whole money thing, sometimes it is taboo. People don't want to talk about it. It's hush-hush. If you start talking about it, then maybe you're not as, as strong in your walk as you should be when it comes to spiritual thoughts and issues. Frame that, if you don't mind. I'm putting you on the hot seat here, but frame that for our listeners, if you don't mind, what you've learned for both the faith community and maybe those out there who aren't, but just the proper way in your mind to view money that's a healthy way so that people don't have to look at it as this vice or this thing that they're worried, you know, to, to get further into. But what has it been most healthy for you from the early standpoint of viewing money, having to break away from that a little bit and realizing, hey, money is actually a good thing and what it allows us to do, but only if we frame it the right way. Well, golly, you've really opened the door. And of course, I <laughs> love, love, love this topic because it is something because of my own background that I've spent a lot of time researching. You know, money, money is like a brick. You can use it to smash somebody's front window, or you can use it to build a cathedral. So it's like that. Certainly, we have to use it wisely. But if we know how to use it wisely, it can have an amazing impact in the world. When I see all these worthy things that people want to do, and yet they assume that, no, to be most godly means that I have nothing. I'm going to not have anything myself, and I'm just going to serve well. Well, that's kind of an oxymoron. You can serve people in a whole lot more creative ways if you have some resources. I do sure. a little demonstration. I've got a little video where I have three wine bottles and in front of them, a different container of different size. And I make the point that we serve best out of a full cup, not an empty cup, a full cup. But a lot of people think, no, I've got to somehow get my head around this thing. You know, money is bad, so I'm not going to have any, but I really want to serve people well. I want to do good in the world. No, you're kidding yourself. You do that better, exponentially better, if you have a full cup. Now, you have to be careful, you know, what does that mean? That if your cup is too big, you know, where you got to, you know, finance a Ferrari for 10 years and have a chateau in France, you know, your cup may be too big. But there's a point in the Jewish Sabbath service. At the end of the Sabbath, they have a goblet on top of a saucer. It's the only time a goblet is on top of a saucer in any of their ceremonies. It's called a Hebdallah. And with that, they pour wine into that saucer as a family before they start the week, and they pour it in until it completely overflows and runs down into the saucer. Symbolically saying, we're going to go out in the workplace and we're going to do our work with such excellence that we fill our cup and we have abundance from which we can share with other people. That's where you're in a position to really make an impact and be your best self. Not when you're groveling in poverty, but see, that's, that's a very dicey principle for some people based on their own religious heritage to get their head around. I'm very, very comfortable in that. Share that with lots and lots of people. And it's something I firmly believe in. That old saying, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. Yeah, but the hate of money means it's going to be repelled from you as well. Let's shift gears here for one second. Certainly appreciate your thoughts on that because I did put you in a hot seat there, but thanks for sharing uh, boldly there. (laughs) 
Let's shift away from, let's say, money and what people might call success or growth or, you know, building businesses and those sort of things. I know that you're a real big guy from some of the reading I've done on you on how you frame failure. You just alluded to it a few minutes ago about the struggles that you've been through in life and talking about the JetBlue CEO having dyslexia and wouldn't take that away. I think most people would say it's the dark moments in their life. It's different for everybody, right? But it's the dark moments in their life that really let them see the light really let them see how to get into certain situations. And they never would have done that if it hadn't have been for those things. But I know you're really big on framing failure in a healthy way. Can you speak to that a little bit and how that's really helped you along your path? Sure. I think we need to adjust how we define failure. You know, we somehow see it as an end, you know, when everything went wrong. But I, I like to frame it in a way that there is no such thing as failure. Either we learn or we win. Those are the only two outcomes. So if I start a business, I had somebody earlier today who is really embarrassed. They're going to have a going out of business sale for a little business that's struggled for years. And I said, absolutely. But hold your head high. Have a lot of fun with it. Recapture what you can. Know that you're going into a new chapter of your life. You can take what you've learned and be extremely successful because of that in the next season of your life. I've always seen it like that. Failure is a necessary part of ultimately getting to success. It's not failure. It's part of a necessary learning process that leads to the kind of success that we're all looking for. Boy, that's such great information. Back in 2015, whenever I was going through my transformational change from just being, you know, just dead in where I was, uh, for lack of better words, and there's so much that's wrapped up into that. And my loyal listeners of the podcast know I was just just wrapped up in a lot of fatigue and burnout and just wrong mindset, pretty much. And if you told me back then that you can change your mindset on a dime and you can start going the other direction after going down just a negative and pessimistic path for so long, I wouldn't have believed you. And I thought a lot of the positive mindset stuff was more just hocus pocus and, you know, Pollyanna pie in the sky, everything's going to be awesome. And that's really not, that's even a more unhealthy way to frame it because the world is tough and the world is, you know, is pretty cruel around us. And, and, uh, we're contributing to a lot of that, just in the way a lot of us live each day and, and uh, the noise around us and the things that you and I talked about before we got on the show here. But I think the biggest thing that I learned during that transformation, besides just positive mindset, is around failure being feedback. Failure is not failure. Failure is feedback. We're in the lab every day of our lives. It's just a huge experiment, right? We've got the lab coat on and the goggles and we see something that's wrong, and most of us have extreme self-sabotage. And just, I think more people need to know about how to frame failure. And as you said, very healthily, it's not failure. It's either you, how did you frame it? It's either we succeed or we learn. Is that right? That's right. And, and one of the things, too, that I often add on the end, when somebody goes through a horrible experience, whether it's me or somebody I'm privileged to work with, I ask, what does this make possible? Because well, that's huge. Yeah, because it just probably has just opened some doors, if nothing else, for thinking. You know, when I woke up one morning a few years ago, you know, and had about, well, I had hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt that I owed, it was, what does this make possible? And I'm, I was not one. Now, some things changed in terms of banking relationships and blah, blah, blah. But I didn't point fingers. I didn't say, oh, it's because of the economy, it's because of the people in the White House. No, I got up the next morning, looked at that guy in the mirror and said, okay, dude, you got us into this. How are you going to get us out? <laughs> Boy, I mean, what that, a tough question to ask when you're, because <laughs> I have heard that story, by the way. Uh, I've heard your story about being in debt and many uh, people 
told you to file bankruptcy. Hey, it's a corporation. Just file That's bankruptcy. Right. And you did not want to do that. That is so amazing. And so to be in that situation and say, what's possible? Wow. I mean, that's amazing to be able to do. And I think so many people struggle with that. You know, so many people don't know where to turn or what direction to go. So that is great. Dan, let's talk about our connection that I found out about here. Many of my faithful listeners know that a big turnaround for me back in 2015, before the podcast even started, was the very first Zig Ziglar uh, seminar or, or recording a, a sets of seminars, about an eight and a half hour audio book. And that was a change in my life for Zig Ziglar. Now, learning a little bit more about you, even here today, I know that you and Zig were pretty close. And then Kevin Miller, who runs the Ziglar Show, a great podcast out there, I learned is your son. And I've heard him on the Ziggler, ep <laughs> Ziggler Show episodes talk about my dad this and my dad that. And I had no idea that he was talking about you. Tell us about your connection with Zig Ziglar and uh, just your relationship with him before he passed away. Sure. I mentioned that at 13 years old, I got a hold of that little audio recording, The Strangest Secret, which became the first product of Nightingale Conat out of Chicago. And they created these programs from what I call the Masters of Achievement. So I became a voracious student of theirs. So I had all those recordings, Napoleon Hill, Earl Nightingale, Norman Vincent Peale, Dennis Waitley, Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy. So all those guys, I just was consuming their content. Well, Zig in that Southern Texas drawl that's so <laughs> distinctive, just was spellbinding. And here's what also intrigued me. Here's a guy who was not you know, some kind of smoke and mirrors guy, you know, going to hype you into something you don't want or need. Here's a guy that was so authentic and so genuine and so giving. And of course, his standard phrase was, you can get anything in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. And I thought, man, here's a guy with the kind of integrity that I want to model. He was one of my virtual mentors. I consumed everything that he had. See you at the top, born to win, all those things. I just consumed them all. Well, as is often the case, when we have somebody like that, that we do want to model, we get opportunities to become closer. So started going to seminars and workshops with this guy and got to meet him, got to know his family, got to be friends with his son, Tom. Well, his son, Tom, is not that far in age from my son, Kevin. They got to be friends and before Zig died, right before Zig died. So they got to be friends. Tom's a biker as well. My son, Kevin, lives up in Woodland Park, Colorado. And Zig will go up to their house and hang out for a few days, you know, mountain bike together and all that. But one thing led to another. But here's the funny thing. When Kevin was little, my son was little, we would have timeouts for him, not with a whipping, but we would set him down and have him listen for 10 minutes. You're going to listen to this audio program and then we're going to talk about it. And that was Zig. He listened to Zig as punishment when he was a kid. Well, he grew up, you know, things changed. Golly, moved away. He lived in Europe for a while. Got married, came back, you know, he got seven kids. And all of a sudden, he's friends with Tom Ziegler. And he starts hearing these phrases, stinking thinking, you know, getting cooked in the squat, <laughs> the story of the pump. And he's, man, these things are familiar. Why are these things so familiar to me? And he started connecting the dots. These were things that he had heard as a little boy and just subliminally had taken root and he had forgotten him about those interim years. Now he's wow. right on top, but now he's living in that space again. I'm so proud of him and what he's doing, doing a great job. But Zig was one of the ones high on my list for virtual mentors first and then becoming a personal friend. 
Boy, that is such a great, great story. And uh, how old was Kevin whenever he started using, or you started using those timeouts and playing Zig during that time for him? Kevin was about eight years old. He was about 10 when I took him with me to the first live Zig Ziglar seminar. When he was 16 years old, we purchased one of Zig's gold planners, that leather-covered, gold-tinged pages, purchased that for Kevin. Zig came over like he would do, came down on one knee in the center, on the edge of the stage, talked to Kevin, encouraged him, signed that book. That was a prized possession. But you know what? That stayed at our house for 20 years. Wow. It wasn't until later that I reminded Kevin we had that and this connection came around again. But just a wonderful, you know, kind of circle of life story that came back around. But here's the thing that I love about that, Jared. Success principles are timeless. It doesn't have to be something that just, you know, the latest, greatest person you heard about who has some new program you have to get today. Man, success principles are timeless. We can go back in history and find everything we need to know to be successful. Oh, absolutely. And his message, even the, you know, you can tell some of the quality on some of his recordings out there is just, you know, it's a little bit subpar because it was recorded so long ago. And so some people would hear that and think, oh, this is, you know, some old guy, you know, old recording. Well, I don't need, I need to move on, you know, oh something else. And then he starts talking and you're like, oh, wait a minute. All of that makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, he just, Zig Ziglar has spoken to me and I, I, I hate that I was so late to the game learning about him. I just think of what my life could have been like if I'd found that earlier, but I know there's a time and place for everything and here we are, right? That's so, right. You know, I have an audio recording. There's only one live audio recording that I'm aware of, of Russell Conwell telling the story, Acres of Diamonds. Wow. Talking about a lot of times, the yeah, best opportunities right under our nose. We just don't recognize it for what it is. The audio recording is horrific in terms of static and crackling and all of that. I am on the edge of my chair listening to it. I don't care. I don't care about the quality. It's the message is just riveting. Well, that is so interesting. And I promise I'm not making this up because you just said that. But over the holidays, I downloaded Earl Nightingale's Strangest Secret. Uh, <gasps> and in my bag, because someone, a business coach here named Jack Shaw, gave me that little book, Acres of Diamonds, probably six or seven years ago. I tucked it away, stuck it in a box somewhere. I've moved offices three or four times. Over the holidays, I grabbed that book, that little tiny book, and I put it in my bag. And I didn't get to it because I was still going through all of Earl Nightingale's stuff. And uh, that's so interesting that you just mentioned both of those things in this recording. Wow. There are so many things that's out cool. there that we, we go back and pick up on because they are timeless, as you said. And I've been around a long time. Can I tell you a little bit of the rest of the story? Oh, absolutely. There's another piece here that just absolutely thrills me beyond description. So I listened to all those old greats, what I call the masters of achievement, and I bought those programs. So years passed, about four years ago, Nightingale Conant contacted me out of the blue. I'd never talked to them. I just purchased their programs. They said, we've tested your material with our audience and got a really positive response. Would you be willing to come to Chicago and create a six-hour audio program on finding your dream job? Wow. Yes. What an <laughs> honor to be included in those people that I consider to be the all-time greats. Now, here's the real coup d'etat. About six months ago, Nightingale Conant sent me a list. They said, we wanted you to see this. Sent me a list of their top-rated programs in history. Now, keep in mind, it's been over 50 years since, uh, since The Strangest Secret came out. That was their first product. They've had all these people, people, Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. All the greats have been in there. 
They said, we want to send you a list of the top rated programs from, by our customers. Number three on the list, Dan Miller, dream job. <laughs> now get this. Way. Number That's awesome. Number four, the strangest secret by Earl Nightingale. No way. I thought I was going to roll over. I mean, my life could have ended right then. <laughs> I'm good to go. The program that absolutely put me on the trajectory of my life was rated one below me by the very company that produced them both. I mean, wow. what, a, what an amazing honor. But yeah, that is too cool. Thanks so much for sharing <laughs> that. That is too uh, cool. Well, Dan, I know we can only cover so much in the podcast, and I feel like I've got several other things that I want to ask you. But the biggest thing, you know, that I would be a little bit amiss to not ask here, wouldn't be doing my job for our listeners out there, is I would love to know what you think, especially with the programs you've put out, the life that you've been through, the adversity that you've had to come back from, the family that maybe, you know, didn't understand what you were doing at that time. I mean, you've been through so many things. There's so many layers here. You take all that knowledge and data and you kind of ball it all up and you say, okay, you know, what have we got here? What are people really doing in today's society? How can they grow? How can they get better? What do you think leaders or just people, even if they're not in leadership positions, but they want to be great, what do you think leaders and people out there are missing today to be great? Well, it's not more information. And that's kind of a catch-22 because we think that it must be more information. But like Derek Sivers says, if information were the key, we'd all be billionaires and have perfect abs. (laughs) That's right. That is right. I've never heard that before. That's so true. Yeah, it's not information. Information is everywhere. It's easy to get. We have to move beyond that to understanding and application. And we've become enamored with just more information. I know people who have read hundreds of books go to every seminar that there is out there. They repeat those, but their life hasn't changed. Getting more information won't change your life. It won't put money in the bank. Developing systems won't change. Put Getting a Facebook profile up or LinkedIn won't change your life. There has to be something that moves into application, goes beyond that. Now, that it's not that complicated. It's not complex, but it's very critical to move away from information into application. It's not more information. It's actually applying what we know. I love that. Dan, as we get ready to wrap up the podcast here, I know my listeners would love to know what you're doing in your life each day. And I know that changes over time and through different seasons in life. But what routines or rituals rituals are you using each day to stay sharp? I know you're a big reader. I know that just from your story, you you love reading. And maybe that's one of the things you're doing to stay sharp. But are some other key things that you're doing to stay sharp at this stage of your life and just keep growing and learning? Well, interestingly, you just mentioned one of the pieces that made a big change in my life fairly recently this last year. That's the book Essentialism. There were two books that profoundly impacted me in terms of increasing my productivity, but giving me more margin in my life. Essentialism and Cal Newport's book, Deep Work. Deep Work, yeah. So I'm very intentional about the use of my time. I mean, I'm, I'm not overwhelmed with things that I do. I've got a lot more projects on the table than I've ever had in my life and intend to do more in the next 10 years than I've done in my whole life up to this point. So that being said, that doesn't mean I'm going to increase, you know, go to 80 hours a week. But essentialism allowed me to eliminate some things that really weren't priorities. They had just crept in because of familiarity. So to say no to some things was critical. And then deep work. Here's my schedule that I have right now that I adapted about six months ago, and it has been awesome. I absolutely love it. Mondays, I have all my business meetings. 
I write blogs. In the afternoon, I do forwards and endorsements. Anyway, Monday's full. Tuesday is extremely full. I do all my coaching calls. I have my coaching mastery, one-hour call, and then a one-hour with my mastermind, my personal mastermind, every Tuesday. Wednesday morning, I do my podcast and my newsletter. Wednesday afternoon, I do interviews. It's the only time I'm available for interviews. Thursday and Friday, zero on my schedule other than deep work. No appointments, no lunch meetings. Those are the days I do nothing but work on major projects. That allows me unbelievable traction and moving forward with things that most people just dream about. That is so awesome. I'm so glad you shared that because that could have been a real key piece that we missed out on there. And I know everybody's got to get their calendar down to the way that they need it, right? Because we're all in different professions and trades and stages of life and all those sort of things. But I'm so glad that you that you shared that with us. So Dan Miller, thanks so much for sharing your heart here. Where can we steer more traffic your way? Where can we find out more about you either in the world of the internet or social media? Where's the best place to connect? Well, thanks for that. 48days.com, easy to find. There's lots of information there. We've got a couple other things and got a new thing too that I'm really excited about, and that's 48dayseagles.com. But this is a community of people who aren't going to settle for just ordinary. So there are people who are very willingly linking arms and saying, how can I help you? They share ideas and resources. I've, I've had about 30 mentors in there. These are people like Aaron Walker, Michael McGreevy, some of the people you already mentioned, who are mentors in that group who willingly share the wisdom that they already have with people in there. So that's pretty exciting, 48dayseagles.com. That's great. And then I know your book, 48 Days to the Work You Love, can be found on your website and on Amazon, I believe. Anywhere else that we can steer people your way or any other projects you have going that uh, you'd want people to know about? That really pretty well covers. Of course, I got a podcast. I love doing a podcast. That's been a, a, a real fun thing for me as well. So I'm in the game with you on that, 48 Days Radio Show. That's easy to find as well. Be delighted to have listeners there. My podcast is Answering Questions. I answer listener questions and uh, they keep me busy. My most recent podcast, I printed off 30 pages of questions. Of course, I don't get through all those, but (laughs) I love just interacting with people and real life questions that they're dealing with. Yeah. And I knew you more for your books and your coaching and the things that you're doing out there. And I didn't even know you had a podcast uh, until just recently, whenever I started uh, looking up a few more things on you, but you better bet I'm going to go over there and check it out as well, because I'd love to hear some of those questions that are being answered. So Uh, there, there are things I could not dream up. I love the questions people pose. That is great. That is great. Well, thanks so much for sharing your nuggets here. Thanks so much for sharing your nuggets of wisdom here today with us. And we wish you even more continued success and uh, keep changing lives out there because you're doing great, great work. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jared. I'm honored to be your guest today. Take care, Dan. Bye-bye. Hey, guys, I enjoyed having Dan on the podcast today and hope you took a ton away from his advice on how to reshift and repurpose your career or change careers completely as you dive into a new sense of direction that can help you reach higher levels of maximum potential and purpose toward your passions. If you would like to connect directly with me, the best way to do that is by email at info at success101podcast.com or in the world of social media on the Facebook Success 101 Podcast page or on Instagram under the name at success101podcast. I'll catch you guys on the next amazing episode of the Success 101 Podcast. Until then. Until then.